So we're talking about what Jesus really taught. You know, you hear people say all the time, well, you know, when Jesus was on the earth, he said this or he taught this. And most of the time, people that are saying that, they're not even born again. How do, you're going to let someone who's not born again tell you what Jesus said? And then I've discovered this. Most people in the church don't know what Jesus really taught. Because if I said to you, well, Jesus went about teaching love. That's what his main message was. And if I hear people say all the time, well, Jesus' main message was love. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can tell by you saying that God is love, but that wasn't Jesus' main message to everybody. Uh, he spoke some things that a lot of people today would kick him out. You know, I don't even know if he'd be welcome in most of his own churches. And so we're going to look and see what he really did say. Now, is he hard? No, he's good because God is good. Is he love? Yeah, he is love. Jesus said, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But we're going to look at some things. Y'all going to help me today, right? Hallelujah. And I, I really want to look at what he said because Jesus, how many know Jesus is the word? How many know he's the creator? And uh, he's the word made flesh and dwell among us. And so this logos, this written word we have, and everything that he said was correctly recorded. And so a lot of people say, and I believe this too, you got to know who he's talking to. And, you know, and so, but I have heard some people say, say, and I probably said it in some ways, everything he said doesn't directly apply to you. But listen, you got to be careful when you start pushing away what Jesus said and, and cherry picking. And in our circles, we're cherry pickers. And we got to be careful of being cherry pickers. What do I mean by that? Is we take the verses we like to uh, describe the subject that we like. And then if it's a little hard or we don't like what it says, we just ignore that. Praise the Lord. So this is how the Lord's had me study this. And I'm having a lot of fun, being challenged quite a bit. Um, and, and what I'm trying to do is not only what Jesus said, but then pull it over into an epistle because that's where we live, right? But how many know all the word is good? Do you know the Psalms are good for you? How many know the Proverbs are good for you? You ought to understand Genesis, right? Um, you ought to understand, I mean, the book of Deuteronomy is amazing. So the truth of the matter is all the word of God is good. And yes, we, you and I live in the age of the church and the age of grace, and we live mostly in the epistles, but we need to know everything, and we need to know what Jesus said. Now listen, if I were to teach you everything that Jesus said, my goodness, I don't know. You know, it's just so much. But I, um, we need to know what he said, and so this is how he had me study it. So he talked to the multitudes. Who's in a multitude? Well, in the multitudes, you had people coming to be healed. They just came for a miracle. They didn't really want to hear anything, but Jesus made them hear. And it's interesting. Uh, sometimes I think the miracles happen first, and then while he had them, he talked to them. I think sometimes he talked to them first, and then the miracles start happening. But there were always multitudes. So in those multitudes, there were people just coming to get healed. There were people that were just coming to see what was going on. In every multitude, I guarantee you that there were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes who were looking for something always to get him. And then with the disciples. Now, when it's, you see disciples, most of the time, I, I used to think the 12. But beyond the 12, there were the 70. And really, uh, he, he appeared closely to 500 people. And so I think this was a very large group of people that traveled with him. Uh, because there was a number of women. There was a number of rich people. There was a number of people that just traveled with him. 
And so when it says disciples, unless it's very specific, I believe it's talking to that larger group of people. Then I see that Jesus, he answered the Pharisee. Sometimes he's preaching and teaching to one or a multitude, and he'll just address the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, those religious people. One of the things you're going to find out is Jesus was very strong and almost curt uh, with the religious people because he hates religion because of what it does to people. God has always wanted a relationship, and they turned it into a religion, and it irritated him. And then you see when he dealt with people individually. Oh, my goodness. I love how Jesus deals with people individually, and some of the doctrine that we have today comes with him dealing with people individually. So right now we're looking at the multitudes. And so we looked at um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which everybody's familiar with, and the other one, the Sermon on the Plains, Sermon on the Mounts in Matthew, Sermon on the Plains, two different types of multitudes. There's other kinds of multitudes. And you notice I'm starting to talk fast because I got four pages of notes, and anytime I got four pages of notes, there's no way I'm going to get it all done. But I'm really going to try. Hallelujah. So I want to talk to you about how, what he talked to the multitudes about. And so in the multitudes, who is there? There's people who have come to be healed. There's people who are just looking. There are, there are the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, and his disciples. So he's talking to a Sunday morning kind of crowd. He's talking to a, a, a crusade type of crowd. He's talking to everybody at different places. And so what Jesus said is very important. And so one of the first things that he preached uh, to them and on a regular basis, I believe, is the gate is narrow. He didn't say God loves everybody, but he said if you want to get into the kingdom, the gate is narrow. So let's look at that. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, the new King James says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it. Verse 14 says, Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Everybody say, the gate is narrow. So Jesus preached the gate is narrow. So let's look at Luke chapter 13, verses 23 to 24 of the New Living Translation. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went. Always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Verse 23, someone asked him, so the multitudes are following, but an individual asked him, someone said, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he replied, everybody's saved. Is that what he replied? He said, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but they will fail. So there's a way that people are going to try to enter, but it's failure. And he said, there's one way, there's a narrow way to enter in. John chapter 10, verse 9. Then we're going to talk about it. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. Somebody said amen. John 14, 6, New King James. New King James. We, we just sang it. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth. He's the what? The way. He's not a way, he's the way. He's the truth and he's the life. No one, nobody comes to the Father except through me. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, New King James says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's one way. Now, I know everybody in this room is probably saved. Maybe a handful of you are away from God, but you can get back today. Or maybe you're in this room and you're not born again. And I don't ever want to take that for granted because if you're in this room and you're not born again, Jesus, when he preached to the multitudes, he was very strong on this. I am the way. Don't look for another. 
There are not, not many ways to God. There's just one. And it is the man. There is one God and one man who is the mediator between God and man. And he is Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. He came to this earth. He was born uh, of a virgin. He was born, you know, you celebrate at Christmas time. He was born in a manger. Can you imagine the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the word of God, the creator of all things, deciding for you and me to become a baby. And, it, and he wake up on earth and, and wow. He's a baby, and man, don't know anything. He had such faith in the plan of his father that he decided to, he decided to come to the earth. And then he grew up, and he found himself written in the scripture. And he went about good, doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And then at the right time, at the right place, nobody took his life. He was the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the Word. He was the world, the Word of God, the Word of God made flesh. A man with no sin, a man with no guile, a man who was perfect in all of his ways and he went to the cross took your sin he became sin he who knew no sin became sin took stripes on his back so that you and I could be healed after he died on the cross he went into the bowels of hell he rose up victorious put his blood on the mercy seat and he's sitting down today at the right hand of the father and he invites you to join him but he wants you to know he's the only way it's narrow I've had people tell me, you're narrow. Thank you. Amen. You're narrow. Well, I can only believe what the word of God says, even as a believer, as a Christian. I really only, because people say, well, I have a right to believe whatever I want to believe. Not really, if you're a Christian. You have a right to believe what the word says. In other words, I don't get a belief, then go try to find it, to prove it. I look at the word, and my beliefs are shaped from this. Well, how come everybody's not the same? Well, because of the way we've been taught and we're human and there's nobody I know that knows everything. We're all still learning. Well, there are many ways. No, there's just one. There's many ways to interpret the scripture. Really not. There's just one. Do you and I know it? Well, we're working on it. Not to be critical. Not supposed to be critical. Remember, we're not supposed to be judgy. Right? But we're all growing. But in this, there is no compromise. Jesus is the way. He's narrow. It's so narrow, it's just one way. Well, what are we supposed to do with everybody else? Tell them it's narrow. Well, I don't want to make them mad. Jesus did. If you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Uh oh, that's another day. Hallelujah. So he's talking to the multitudes. So how many know he's not just saying, I love you, I'm the God of love, but he's telling them the truth so that they can make a proper choice. I am the way. I am the gate. I am the door. And it's narrow. And you can try to get in another way, but you're not getting in. You know, one of the things that's saddest for me is people who try to live a moral life who are not born again and then die in their sin and go to hell. Your goodness and your good works are never going to be enough. After you get born again, you're going to do good works. But it's never your works that are going to get you in good with God. Amen. So what else did Jesus say? So in his preaching to the multitudes, uh, this phrase you'll find 
often over and over again. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. So let's look at that. So he said, I'm the way. I'm the narrow. It's the narrow gate. So in the multitudes, he was also preaching this. So let's look at Luke 14, 25 through 27. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, anybody here want to be your, his disciple? Sure you do. You wouldn't be in the room. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. By comparison, hate everyone. That's a strong word. Hate, consider everybody else less. Maybe that's more palatable for you. But it, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Hello. Verse 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So now he's saying, it's not talking about salvation. Remember Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and get everybody saved. He said, go make disciples. How many know who the Lord wants? But but how many know the Lord wants everybody saved? Some of you are like, what? He wants, how many know he wants it's the will of God to get everybody saved? But while you're on the earth, he wants you to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, someone who's been taught, someone who's been trained, someone who acts like the master. Discipled. Discipled. Everybody say, I'm a disciple. Whether you feel like you are or not, say, anyway, I'm a disciple. Say, I'm a disciple. So, listen, the Lord wants me. I thought he was love. He don't want me to hate people. Well, that word hate is to think less than. And so, everybody everybody say this. Jesus is Lord. He's number one in my life. And if Pastor Robert was talking about, listen to me. If Jesus is not number one, if God's not number one, if the word, is the word supposed to be number one? Well, he is the word. Is the truth supposed to be number one? He is the truth. Amen? So what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to pick up my, hit our cross and follow him. Luke chapter 9. Y'all good? Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Says, uh, then he said unto the crowd, so there's another, it's a multitude, it's a crowd. If any of you want to be my follower, anybody want to be his follower? You must give up your own way. You must give up. This is what Jesus preached, y'all. You must give up your own way. Well, I, you know, Lord, just bless my way. Well, that's the modern charismatic word of faith thing. Lord, I'm going to find, I'm going to decide something that I need you to bless it. He's not required to. We're supposed to find our way in his way, and that's what will be blessed. What is your life? It's just a vapor that lasts a little while. What you ought to say is if the Lord wills, we'll do this or do that. It's not talking about dying. It's talking about obeying. I'm in the right room, right? First service, cornerstone. Jesus' disciples. Then he said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily. Woo! And follow me. (laughs) Y'all, I had to deal with it. Verse 24. If you try and hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. He's teaching the multitudes. He's not saying, oh, please follow me. Oh, please follow me. I am the way, really. Come on, come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. He said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to die to yourself, and you're going to pick up your cross, and you're going to follow me every day of your life. And if you do that, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life, then you'll really find it. Verse 25. 
And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? If you just, we and you and I intend to do it our own way. This is fun. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, New King James. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, now he's just talking to the disciples, maybe that 500 or 1,000 of them. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, his message to the multitudes and his disciples, he repeated this message quite frequently. He said if you want, to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Praise the Lord, that'll preach. Hallelujah. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Praise the Lord. Everybody say, I'm, Lord, I'm taking up my cross. I'm following you. Verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark chapter 8. 34. When he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them. So again, this is really him. He's talking to a crowd of people again. When he called the people to himself and, he, and his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Keep going. Verse 3. For whoever desires to save his life is going to lose it. Can you see this being repeated over? It's four or five different settings. Same message. He was like a good itinerant. Some of them I know. You know, you get to hear one message, but I know them. They're my friends, and I follow them around. The Lord gives them a message for the year. And they go around to church and say the same thing over and over again. No matter the church, no matter where it's at. In the world, in the United States, they say the same thing. Because that's the Lord's message to them, through them, to the body of Christ. So Jesus was giving this message to the multitudes, to crowds, to disciples. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, you're going to save it. Verse 36. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Can you hear the same thing over and over again? Now let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Um, this is um, interesting. Hallelujah. Here, if you study in context, he's sending the 12 disciples out. The, you know, remember when he gave them authority? And he's giving them a pep talk right before they go. Uh, this is a special message to the 12. How many of you want to be close to Jesus? You want to be close? Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. That doesn't sound like a love walk, does it? I did not come to bring peace but a sword. What do we do with this? We hear it, we, we see it, and we preach it. Verse 35. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That doesn't sound like Jesus. 36. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. 37. He who loves... Ah, here it is again. He who loves his father or mother, mother more than me is not worthy of me. You can have no other gods. You can have no other people. Nobody in front of you. No, Jesus has got to be God, the Father, Jesus, the whole, number one. Everybody else, number two. You can't put anybody else, your, your career, your family, your this, your that. Jesus said, if you, if you love any of those things, put any of those things above me, you're not worthy of me. 
In our, today, we're like, Jesus is like, he's just okay with the leftovers of us. He just ought to be thankful that we gather. Praise the Lord. You and I are not that way. You and I are not that way. Ever say, Jesus is my Lord. This is some tough stuff here, right? Do you understand that he wouldn't get a lot of offerings in a lot of churches today? He who loves your father more or mother than me is not worthy of me. He who loves, this will make you rearrange, think about your priorities. And I think it's the whole point because it's the end of the age. And the church has gotten squirrely. Letting other things in. Calling it church. All kinds of sorts. Jesus is number one. And, it, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Woo! Hallelujah. They say don't love your children, don't treat them right. No, if you love him, if you put him first, he'll take care of everything that concerns you. Hallelujah, verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Verse 39. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake, you're going to find it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, listen to me. Taking up our cross and following him, what in the world does that mean? How many of you know that Jesus is the only one that could pay for our sins? So when someone says take up their cross, back in the old days, I've heard people say, well, you know, this sickness is my cross to bear. That's a, that's a, I'll just say it. That's a bunch of baloney. The, you know, me being poor, uh, that's just my cross to bear. Uh, me just having a bad attitude, that's just how God made me and that's my attitude. To be, that's my cross to bear. No, that's not talking about that at all. If Jesus bore it, you don't have to. And it'd be wrong for you to because you've been redeemed. So what does this mean, pick up my cross? Well, when Jesus picked up his cross uh, he, and, and, and drugged that thing to Calvary after they whooped him and beat him beyond human recognition, he was taking that cross to Calvary so that he could take your place and he was becoming less so that we could become all that he wanted us to be. He who knew no sin became sin. What does it mean for you and I to carry our cross? Well, it doesn't mean to carry burdens. It doesn't mean to carry pain or shame or guilt. It doesn't mean that we carry bad habits. Those things we've all been redeemed from. But I like Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 out of the Amplified Classic. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Can you all say that? Say, I have been crucified with Christ with Christ. Now he said, pick up your cross daily. And remember Paul said, after I have to keep my own flesh under, uh, crucify it basically, unless after I preach to others, I myself become a castaway. So one of the things daily you got to do, if you let your flesh go, how many know it's just easier to keep it under every day? Every day. Everybody say every day. Every day. I have, and but listen, I have been crucified with Christ. In him, I have shared his crucifixion. So if you reckon yourself as dead, if you reckon your flesh is dead, how many know I'm preaching to me and I'm preaching to you, right? What do we got to do? We got to reckon our flesh dead. If we see ourselves crucified with him, if we see our flesh crucified, it, then it's no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith. 
in reliance and adherence to and reliance on the complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when I crucify myself, I'm crucified with Christ. It's not me who's living, but it's Christ who's living in me. Amen. And that's the attitude and that's the life. So I'm going to crucify my flesh, yes, but I'm going to crucify myself in such a way that I understand I'm dead and I'm buried with him and I have been raised to new life again and I'm going to live out the resurrection every day. I'm going to pick up my cross. In other words, Jesus, he, he, he had a mission. He had, he had a mission. And he knew that his mission was to die for our sin. And that's when he said on the cross, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. His mission was complete. I think one of the things that will help you and help me every day is if I'll pick up my cross, I'm on a mission today. I'm on a mission today at work. I'm on a mission today raising my children. I'm on a mission today in the neighborhood. I'm at a mission when I go to Kroger or Walmart. I'm on a mission. I'm an ambassador and I'm on a mission. And I'm on a mission. And then when we lay our head down at night, we ought to say mission complete for the day. Now you say, well, I don't know that I ever complete a mission. Well, pick up your cross in the morning and follow him. Amen. He wants to be with you as you live life. He wants to be with you as you get your children ready for school. He wants to be with you as you, uh, you know, you're, as a husband and wife, as you talk over the things of your life. He wants to be with you as you go to work, especially around here. He needs to be with you as you drive. Hallelujah. As you wait patiently for everybody to get out of your way. Hallelujah. Uh, he's, he wants to be with you as you work. He wants to be with you as you go home. He wants to be with you at the football game. He wants to be with you wherever you are. He wants to be with you. But you, in order for that to happen, in order for you truly to follow him, you got to pick up your cross. Amen. Amen? So what else do you have to say? I mean, oh, that's good. That's good. Amen? So we, we're picking up our cross. Well, um, in that, he said, what? Well, follow me. Everybody say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him. What does that mean? What does that mean to follow him? Well... In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, King James says, Be ye therefore followers of God. So what did he say? Pick up your cross and follow me. Follow me. He, he didn't say, get out ahead of me and I'll catch up with you and I'll get you what you want. He said, you got to follow me. I mean, no, he's the good shepherd. He said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. Yes. Come on, y'all. we got to get really good at following him. We gotta get, how do we follow him? Well, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We're going to follow him. We're going to follow him. We're going to follow him. We're going to follow what he says. We're going to, we're going to follow him in our lives. When you find out uh, the course, the direction for your life, and you follow him, we're followers of God as dear children. Verse 2. And walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice for a sweet-smelling savor. So he said, if you'll follow me, the, the, the sign of you follow me is you're going to walk in love. Uh, um, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're, that's going to be the, so there it is, is if we really follow him, we are going to walk in love. We're, it's going to be, we're going to be a sweet smelling savor to other people, but he's like, follow me. So if we follow him and, and I like this. And so I want to get you some of this because I really like this. There are benefits for following him and Jesus spoke on him and John eight twelve, John, 8, I'm giving you lots of scripture. But he said, then spake Jesus again in the saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The light of life. If you want your light and your path to be bright, you got to follow him. 
If you're going to follow him, you're going to follow his word. But listen to me. The times are going to get darker and darker. In the end, there shall be gross darkness on the earth. I remember a number of years ago when I was praying, I was telling the Lord, man, it's getting dark out there. I can't believe that as I've watched, you know, I'm 60 years old, and I've watched things progress, especially over the last, you know, 20 years. The darkness that is in the world, the things that are now acceptable in the world that we would have never thought acceptable. What is that? That's the devil and that's darkness. And I said to the Lord, it's, this is what gross darkness looks like. He said, you haven't seen gross darkness yet. This is still just darkness. Gross darkness, that just means it's gross. I mean, there's, there's, that's coming. And so how do you and I, but see, as that gross darkness comes, you're the light. And so you're going to get brighter and brighter. And it's going to be easier for us as a believer to follow the light. But you've got to follow God. And when you do, you'll not walk in darkness. And that's a really good thing. Amen. You won't be easily deceived. You'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free and continue to keep you free. So a benefit of walking with him is you don't have to be afraid that you're going to walk in any kind of darkness. Hallelujah. Are you following him? Say, I follow Jesus. John 12, 26. John 12, 12. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there he shall be. My ser- and there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, my father will honor him. Woo! When you've been honored by Father God, you've been honored. How do you get there? By following Jesus. Taking up your cross every day and following him. Every time I'm following him. And I like this one, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. He said to them, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Listen, y'all, um, the, one of the greatest things you could ever do for God is follow him and let him make you a fisher of men. Everywhere you're going, you're going, I, thank you for the one amen. Listen to me. Even in Alabama, one of the most church-going states in the United States of America, and last time I looked, it's been a while now. Birmingham was number one. Huntsville area was number two. I do not like to be number two, especially to Birmingham. Amen. Let's be number one. Everybody's not going to go to church here. There's a lot of good churches in this area, but, but we're one of them. Amen. And you need to get people in church. But the first thing you need to do is minister to them because you're a follower of Jesus. And he has made you a fisher of men. He made you. Listen, well, I'm trying. He made you. Just like he made you righteous. You have the equipment. You have been given a ministry of reconciliation and a word of reconciliation. You just be you in how you do things, but you go minister to people. You go reconcile people. Everybody always wants to minister in here. But listen, there's way more to life than ministering in here. There's a world out there. People are moving here from all over the world, from different parts of the nation. And you and I have an opportunity to get them into uh, the things of God and into church. Amen. Because I'm a follower of Jesus, I am. See, we've been confessing that for years around here. He made me a fisherman. He made me a fisher of men. Everybody say, because I follow Jesus. Because I follow Jesus. I am a fisher of men. Woo, hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's look at this one. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be followers of me 
even as also I am a follower of Christ. So this is what I know. If I follow him, and I really follow him. Do I have followers? Is Jesus number one in your life? Is he the Lord of your life? You going to pick up your cross and follow him every day? Hallelujah. Amen. What does that mean? He's number one. Well, Lord, I'm, you know, I'm trying. Pastor Mark, I'm trying. Quit trying and do. Just do. Just let it be. Well, I'm not very good at it. Well, you know what? But you're going to start. It's a heart thing, not an action thing. And so if your heart is right, I want to follow you. The Holy Ghost will help you. You know what? You're not going to just start out. You know, perfection is highly overrated. Because once you think you are, then you're in sin. And another kind is called, it's called pride. I mean, the truth of the matter is we're all growing. And so you do you with the Lord, but with this heart attitude, I want to follow you all the days of my life. And as I follow you, I'm going to become a fisher of men. As I follow you, uh, and I'm going to be able to say to other people, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. The apostle Paul said that. He said, well, that's the apostle. And you can say that, Pastor Mark. But no, you want to be able to say that. You ought to be able to say that. Let's try it. Say, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's say it this way. Say, follow me because I am a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus. You can say, follow me. What the woman at the well, man, she was all messed up. Come meet a man. Could it be as simple as that? It could be. Hallelujah. Amen. Follow me as I follow Christ. What do he say about you and I? So remember Jesus is preaching to the multitudes. This is really what he preached to the multitudes. And then other places I wanted to show you as I brought it in. Sometimes uh, the same message to a group of disciples. The same message to the twelve. So he had the same things over and over again. Uh, it's recorded in, in all the Gospels. And really when something's recorded, I figured this out, if it's recorded once, it's really good. But if it's recorded twice, thrice, and four times, I mean, if it gets a forfer, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you ought to pay attention. Amen? And there's not a lot of forfers. But wherever you find something like that or that theme, you and I ought to pay attention. And this is a lot of places. These things are, pick up your cross and follow me. To the multitudes, to, to the disciples, to the twelve. Uh, following God. And, 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 and then he said this. So this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, in light of that. Since we are to tell people to follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus said this. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Come on, say this like you mean. Say, I'm salty. And see, some people, when they think of salty, they think of something bad. But this is a good salty. Uh, and this saltiness won't, won't mess with your sugar or whatever problems you have salty, you know. Um, but thank God you're salty. You are the salt of the earth. But watch this. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing. But thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Keep going. You are the light of the world. Back to positive again. Everyone say, say, I'm the light of the world. It says, and I've been praying this out over this church for the last two or three years. We're a city set on a hill. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. I've been praying this over Cornerstone for the last three, three years or so. It just pops out on Wednesday when I lead prayer. We're a city set on a hill. What is that? You're the light. We're a beacon. Hallelujah. Next. Nor do they light a lamp. Come on, you remember when you were a little kid and you sang this? Don't hide it under a bushel. No. Do they not light a lamp and put it under a basket? But on a lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Next verse. Let your light so shine before men. So, it, so I'm, follow me as I follow Christ. Why? Because I'm the salt and I'm the light. Everybody say, I'm the salt. I'm the, salt. I'm the light. Say, no, Jesus is the salt. No, he said you are. He started it, but he said you are. Come on, say it again. Say, I'm salty. And I'm the light. And this is let your light show so for, for men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify God. So this saltiness, this light will cause you to do good things. Good things don't get you born again, but after you're born again, Ephesians 2.10 says you've been prepared, prearranged to do those good works which Christ gave you in your mother's womb. Listen to me. And so with those good works, you're glorifying God. What are you being? You're being salt and you're being light. Say it again. Say, I'm salty. And I'm light. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. New living. Salt is good for seasoning. Yes, it is. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. Let me just say, why does he keep saying it if you lose your flavor? So that tells me we can lose our flavor. I don't want to lose my saltiness. Because really what he's saying is, if you go this way and you're all salty at the beginning and then you lose it, it's very hard to get it back. That reminds me of what Jesus told the church at Ephesus in Revelation. He said, I have one thing against you. You lost your first love. You lost your fire. You're doing everything right, but you, you know, you don't lose it. So everybody say, I'm going to stay salty. How, how do you make it salty? You must have the qualities of salt among yourself. And let those, so one, some of those qualities is salt does what? It preserves. And one of the things it's going to preserve is peace. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 14. Jesus is preaching to all these multitudes and all these people. Flavorless salt is good neither for soil nor a manure pile. I thought... Wow, I thought the others were just really straight in your face. He says, if you lose your saltiness, you're not even good enough for a manure pile. Well, Pastor, I, I'm wondering if this is encouraging. Well, Jesus said it, so I guess it is. Jesus said it. What am I saying to you? Jesus, when he preached to people, he was not a sugarcoater. Why? He, he didn't, he, he had all these people around, and he really wanted them to follow him because he really wanted them to bless them. Keep that up. Hallelujah. Flavorless salt. Everybody say, I'm salty. And smile while you're saying it. Hallelujah. Say, I'm salty. Because flavorless salt is not even good enough for the soil or manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone who with ears to hear should listen and understand. I'm going to stay salty. You want to stay salty? Hallelujah. I read that first. I wrote it down wrong. I, I wrote down flavorless salt is only good for a manure pile in my notes. And the Holy Ghost said to me, that's not what he said. That's what I wanted him to say. 
He said it's not even good enough for him. Listen, I grew up on a farm. I know what a manure pile is. It's not even good enough for a manure pile? Well, you and I are going to work on being salty. How do you get salty? Well, I guess he's the salt. I'm going to get around him. I'm going to let him season me, flavor me, make, smell me up. Amen? Praise the Lord. Y'all good? Yeah. Colossians chapter 4. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt. So he's talking about how you and I deal with the lost, how we deal with those who are not born again, how we deal with those who are on their way to hell, and there's a lot of them. He said, he said let your speech, so that means you and I are talking to them. Are we talking to them? Are we ignoring them? Do we hate them? We just want them to go away and move somewhere else? No, let your speech always be with grace. As though seasoned with salt. Everybody say, I'm salty. So that, that's a good t-shirt. Hallelujah. So that you will know how you should respond to each person. Keep going. Or are we done? We're done. Yeah, Ephesians 5.8. Let your, for you were sometimes in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So the Lord gave us all these things. And I'm not just giving you these, just, I, I believe the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to tell them what I actually taught. I want you to tell them what I actually ministered. I think sometimes we don't know um, what he said and how he said it and what the purpose is. Let, let's review the purpose of this. Are, are you with me? Are you with me? Is it to make us heavy? No, it's to make us understand who Jesus is and what he wants from us. Because how many of you know if you follow him, he's going to bless you? Yes. How many of you know uh, that if you're close to him, uh, he, he wants you and I to walk with him? Uh, but Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree? So we have to be on Jesus' page. And what is he saying to us? We got to tell people, and we got to understand the gate is narrow. It's so narrow that it's just one way. Amen. Amen. And he's the mediator between God and man. What is he asking us to do? He's just saying, I want you to get your cross every day, every morning. I want you to pick it up. And I want you to know you've been crucified with me. You've been crucified with me. And it's no longer you who are living. But it's me, Jesus is saying, living on the inside of you. And if you and I live that way, and if we pick up our cross every day and realize we've been crucified with Christ, then that day, that day, that day. Sometimes people want to know, how did my life get messed up? Well, it's because of what you did every day. If you want tomorrow to be better, you're going to have to fix it today. If you want your life, to, if you want your business to be better, you're going to have to give it to God today. If you want your career to be better, you're going to have to sanctify it, give it to God today. If you want your marriage to be better, you're going to have to put it in God today. If you want tomorrow to be different, you've got to do something different today. The definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You've got to 
Put God number one in your life. I tell people all the time when they're having trouble in any part of their life, listen to me. The thing you've got to do first is put Jesus first. I don't know why people come to me and want me to counsel them on on how to make life better. As a pastor, I'm going to say, is Jesus number one in your life? Do I see you on Sunday morning? Are you reading your Bible? Are you confessing the word? Are you doing what God told you to do? There's a reason that life gets messed up. It's because we don't pick up our cross and follow him. And I am not throwing stones at you. I had to live this all night long. Hallelujah. Asking the Lord, you know, am I totally submitted to you? Have I humbled myself under your mighty hand? Am I doing what you need me to do? And this is what I know. Anytime I'm having problems over and over again in life, there's some area of my life I've not submitted myself to God in. Because if I submit myself to God, if I pick up my cross and follow him every day, then I can resist the devil and the devil got to go. Amen. Why the devil's defeated? Listen to me. I got to pick up my cross. I got to follow him every day. Well, what if I didn't do it good that day? When you lay your head down, Lord, you know, I don't know if I did everything you want me to do today, uh, um, but I'm going to go to sleep and sweet. I'm going to have a sweet sleep. There's no condemnation to you. And then tomorrow morning, we're going to get up and we're going to pick up the cross again. We're going to follow you today. I'm 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 going to follow wherever you go. That's where I'm going. Whatever you say, that's what I'm saying. Whatever you're doing, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to follow you today. I'm going to follow you today. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, Enoch and Noah, they walked with God. That was their claim to fame. They walked with God. What is that? Following Jesus. Come on, everybody say, I'm a follower. Hallelujah. We're followers of God. And then he does, man, we got a world to reach. And the, be- the way you and I are going to reach them the best is get salty. Not salty in a bad way, salty in a good way. The word of God is the seasoning, the grace of God, the love of God, uh, the joy of God. The things of God are seasoning in our life. How, I don't know about you, but I just don't like bland food. Now, I don't like the hot stuff, you, but I like it to have some flavor about it. Amen. I like a friend of mine, her name was Christine. She went home to be with the Lord a number of years ago. But uh, she's all the time saying to me, Pastor, we need to get some flavor up in here. (laughs) She was talking about, well, I am who I am, you know. I think we got some flavor up in here. But you need to be, you need to have some flavor out there. You need to have some flavor out there. you can change people's lives. You don't have to know everything. Don't stay where you are, but you don't have to begin. Well, I'm going to wait till I know more. Just start where you're at. Help people. Love people. Be with Jesus. Get salty. I want to make you confess it one more time. Y'all good? Everybody say, Get to, I'm salty. What's that going to do? What does salt do? It preserves. It seasons. It brings peace. It helps some people.